Well, I want to welcome you to a new sermon series that we're starting today that I'm very excited about. Obviously, you can see the title of it, Kingdom Fit. To me, this is a follow-up to the last sermon series that we just went through. For those of you who are here for that series, it was the Upside Down Kingdom was the title of it. And we were looking at the upside down ways of Jesus's kingdom. And we got this beautiful vision for what life is like in God's kingdom, what we can become like, the person, the sort of person that we can become. And it's this spectacular vision. But the question, and it was the question that I felt like I never really could totally go into when we were going through the the sermon series, even though we spent 21 sermons going through the kingdom, what Jesus' picture of the kingdom of God. It's that amazing, it's that upside down, that it took that long, and we didn't even exhaust the, the gold that's contained there. But the question I felt like I never really could answer or the series would have been even longer than 21 Sundays, is how, if this is the vision, how do we become people that just don't know the vision, but actually become the vision? How are we transformed into this sort of person that can naturally live out the ways of the kingdom when the pressure is on? That's the question. Because it's one thing to behold the beauty of the vision, but until it really becomes ours, until it really gets in our bones, until it becomes a part of our DNA, it's not going to do us much good. So in this sermon series, I am going to do my best to explain to you how you can become kingdom fit. How you can become the sort of person that naturally lives out the ways of Jesus. I hope this sermon series is extremely practical. That is my goal. So, let's pray. That's where we're headed. And uh, I'm looking forward to see what God does with this. So, let me pray. Lord, thank you that a different life is possible. Thank you that in the midst of this life, we can be bihabitational, that we can have one foot in this world, but one foot fully in your kingdom. Lord, it is a beautiful way to live. Help us to understand how we may be with you to learn from you not just to know how to live like you, but to actually do it. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit. We pray that that spirit that is the one that comforts us, instructs us, teaches us, us, enlightens us, helps, helps us to understand your truth and your ways, would give us knowledge and wisdom in terms of how we can be transformed and become more and more kingdom fit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so here we are. Um, I, let's see, my uh, 
computer screen was jumping around a bit here. So here is what I want to cover this morning. So you, I think, in terms of knowing how to experience kingdom fitness, there are some foundational truths that you need to know that need to really uh, be in our minds at all points. And if we don't keep these foundational truths in our minds, spiritual growth, our desire for kingdom fitness, our pursuit of it can get really wonky. And so I want to cover three foundational truths that we got to um, keep in our hearts here if we are going to be people that are kingdom fit. All right, so here's the first one that I want to share with you. It is, if I can find it, kingdom fitness is immensely valuable. Kingdom fitness is immensely valuable. We have to have this in our hearts. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, in these verses, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 11. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little, But godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. For to this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God, who is the savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach." In these verses, Paul is talking to a young Timothy, and what Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, look, if you are going to lead well, you have got to put forth a lot of energy in terms of training in godliness. And then what Paul did is he contrasted and compared physical training with training in godliness. And Paul, he acknowledges that physical training is good. There's nothing wrong with training yourself to be physically fit, to be healthy, taking care of your body. I think more than ever in our society, we're aware of those benefits, aren't we? I think there's so much information that we have that tells us that exercise, physical exercise is good for the body. It's good for the mind. We live in the world of yoga pants, right? We live in the world of non-GMO, organic, grass-fed, right? We live in the world where we have these fitness trackers, right, on our wrists that tracks our uh, sleeping, our heart rate, our steps, um, you name it, it seems to track it. We are aware of the benefits of physical fitness, uh, the industry is, I think it's, what is it, a seven, it's like a seven to ten billion dollar a year intri- um, uh, industry, and it continues to increase annually by three to four percent. Thirty billion dollar industry, knew it was off there. There's a 5K like every weekend, isn't there? Like, I don't remember that many 5Ks like growing up. Did those even exist? I don't remember ever really even hearing about them. Paul is saying, 
He's like, look, physical training, it is good. But training and godliness, if you were to compare the two, physical training is of little value when compared to training in godliness. This is quite a statement by Paul. Quite a statement, but it rings true. We don't have to look very far to see the truth of this claim that Paul makes. In headlines recently, Antonio Brown, um, receiver, NFL receiver, right? Maybe one of the most physically fit people on planet Earth. The dude is chiseled. He is athletic, probably doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body. He's even used cryotherapy. Have you read about cryotherapy? So it's like these freezing chambers that people get into, and it's supposed to help them recover uh, from workouts. It drops it down to negative 200 degrees Fahrenheit, and you're in there for like two to four minutes. Um, it prob- when I was reading that, I was thinking, yeah, you probably, there's no pain, right? Because you can't even feel anything. Is what I was thinking. Antonio Brown, he made headlines because his toes got frostbitten from being in a cryotherapy chamber. And so he had to miss some of his team's practices and stuff here in in the training, right? So, but that's not the only thing that he's making headlines for. Um, he, his behavior led him to be released from the Raiders. He's now with the Patriots. And just a couple days after being released from the, from the Raiders, he's being accused of raping one of his trainers. I, don't, I, I sure hope that none of these things are true and we don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But here, what appears... What appears is that we have a man who physically is exceptionally healthy, but his soul is not. And it's affecting every area of his life, it appears. You see, why godliness training is of such great benefit is because it does not just target your body, it targets your soul, the most important part of you, this invisible part of you that, that makes all of your choices, it does your feeling, it it, it really, I mean, the Bible says in Proverbs, it is the wellspring of life because your life flows from this invisible part of you. You can say soul, you can say heart, you can say spirit. I think you can use those terms interchangeably. Now, I want to ask you, do you spend more time and energy on physical fitness or training both your soul and body to become kingdom fit? Are you all about physical fitness and you don't even have on your radar that, you know, a concern for kingdom fitness? Or is it like neither? Foundational principle number one, do you see how valuable kingdom fitness is? It's going to take Care of the part of you that will be doing all of your thinking, choosing, and feeling. And that's why Paul said in our passage, 
It is of great value, tremendous value. You've got to see the value of it or you will not pursue it. You've got to see the value of it or you will not engage with the training it takes to have kingdom fitness. Foundational truth number two, God has giving, given us everything we need to become kingdom fit. Check this out. In a letter to various churches, the apostle Peter, he, he wrote this in 2 Peter 1, 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What a tremendous thought that God gives us everything we need for godliness. Everything we need so that we may share in his divine nature as we increasingly become more like him. It's just a tremendous, tremendous truth. We can be like God in knowledge. We can be like God in virtue. We can be like God in self-control. We can be like God in perseverance and in kindness and in love. We have everything we need. If we are in Christ through repentance and faith, we have everything we need to be kingdom fit. Transformation is possible. You can change. Even those persistent sins of yours can be overcome. Do you believe this? If you do not believe that change can come, you are defeated before you even get into the ring. You've got to know and believe that change is possible. And this is not wishful thinking. This is not the power of positive thinking. This is truth. This is belief rooted in reality for the Christian. Look, that means there's no room for excuses. If you are not growing in godliness, you can't say, well, it's just the way I am. You can't sit back and say, I, I would if I, if I could. There are no room for excuses. There's no room for excuses. You've been given everything you need. You have a new nature. You have a new identity. You have a new power. Namely, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, the Bible tells us, the Holy Spirit comforts us, guides and directs us, brings transformation in Christ's likeness to us. It, it, it empowers us to live the way that Christ lived. It emboldens us for courageous ministry. It communicates the Father's will and love to our hearts. It infuses us with joy. It intercedes for us in prayer. It makes Christ a living, bright reality in our minds and hearts. You've been given everything you need to grow in godliness. 
if our kingdom fitness is not increasing, it's not due to a lack of resources. It's not due to a lack of power. Most likely, it's due to the third foundational truth that I want to mention to you this morning. Kingdom fitness, immensely valuable. You've been given everything you need to grow in it. And now, thirdly and finally, kingdom fitness requires effort on our part. Remember what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Exercise yourself toward godliness. To grow in godliness, we must exercise. We must train. We are not passive in our spiritual growth. I love the truth that salvation is by grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone. I love that. It's true. But here's the problem. We, in some Christian circles, have so emphasized that salvation is by grace alone that we've made people believe that basically they can do nothing in their walk with Jesus and they're going to experience transformation. That they just sit back and God's just going to zap them and make them Christ-like. We have a role to play in our kingdom fitness. We must put forth effort. I think I've told you before that I have a friend that just blesses me with all kinds of tools, and I love tools. I remember watching Home Improvement growing up and Tim, the tool man, Taylor. I didn't understand the, 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 the like for tools at that point, but now I do as an adult and as a man that needs to take care of a house. And so he blesses me with all these tools. Just recently, he gave me a grinder so that, and I've been wanting a grinder so that I can sharpen my own mower blades myself. So he's, he gave me this grinder. Here's the thing. It's a beautiful grinder. It's like brand new. It's got a lot of power. Um, I hear it can do great things. It's not doing me any good. You know why? Because it's still in the trunk of my car, and I have not learned to utilize that power that I've been given. I have put no effort forth in understanding how to use this grinder. And I guarantee when I actually get around to it, that at first it's going to be awkward. It's go- I'm going to be clumsy at it. I'm going to have to take baby steps so I don't chop my fingers off. I don't want to sharpen my fingers. I want to sharpen the blades, right? But look, this is the spiritual life. You've been given everything you need. You've been given a power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, that created this universe, that lives inside of you. But you have got to learn how to utilize this grace that you've been given. If you don't do anything with it, it's not going to be very helpful to you. Look, we are saved by grace so that we may grow in grace. And as we attempt to exercise and work out with Jesus, it's going to feel awkward at first. We're going to feel clumsy. It's not going to come naturally. But guess what? God, God's grace is there, and it meets us in that. And over time, it enables us to actually be able to do some of those things that we 
are awkward at doing. Have you guys seen the movie Sully? Anybody see the movie Sully? I haven't watched it. I want to, but I, I know the story. So if you, if you haven't seen the movie Sully, it's about the pilot, um, his Sullinger, I think is his last name, and that's why they call him Sully. But here's how one book that I've read uh, tells the story of this man, this pilot that landed a plane on the Hudson River. Check this out. On a cold winter afternoon in 2009, a regular U.S. Airways flight took off from New York City, from LaGuardia Airport, headed for Charlotte, but within two minutes was intersected by a large flock of Canadian geese. Who would have thought that Canadian geese could take down a big old jet, right? Both of the plane's engines were immediately damaged and lost power as the jet with 155 people aboard began to descend over the Bronx. Captain Chelsea Sullenberger's first option was to attempt to land at a smaller airport, but there was a higher likelihood of crashing in a crowded neighborhood along the way. His second option was to land on a major highway, but it was near rush hour in New York City, guaranteeing a number of deaths. His third and final option, crash landing the jet on the Hudson River. (laughs) How would you like that for your options? Hitting the water at any wrong angle would cause the jet to flip or spin and break into pieces in the frigid water because it was like 17 degrees out or something crazy like that. But Sully and his co-pilots had developed a set of skills to handle this exact situation and exercised them by habit. Miraculously, we all know who's behind miracles, Sully was an instructor in gliding a jet without power. He instructed people in this. Together, the pilots listened listened to what they did in a matter of seconds and minutes. The pilots shut down the engines, set a consistent speed, disconnected the autopilot, overrided the flight management system, sealed the plane's vents and valves to waterproof the plane, turned the jet to glide with the current of the river, and then landed perfectly straight, even on the raging Hudson. Everyone made it off the aircraft safely, ensuring one of the greatest rescue stories of our generation. How was Sully able to land this plane when it counted? How was he able to do what needed to be done when it needed to be done? Training. Sully had practiced and practiced and practiced for hours and hours over a course. I think he was a 30-year pilot, veteran pilot by this point. And so when the pressure was on, he could naturally do what needed to be done. Look, in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, there's things. We've gone over it, right? We took 21 Sundays to do it. There's things like, having responding to situations with righteous, godly anger. There's things about loving your enemies. There's things about keeping your commitments, being faithful, not manipulating people with your words. There's, there's truth about not judging people in 
ungodly ways. There's, there's all these truths. Why do we think that when the pressure's on, we can, just by willpower, just by direct effort, do what needs to be done when it needs to be do it, when we need to do it? Why do we think that the, the, the ways of Jesus are just going to pour out of us when your wife is driving you nuts or your husband is driving you nuts or somebody is talking behind your back and there's this malicious gossip that's going on in your place of work? Why do we think that we're just going to respond and act like Jesus in the moment? Guess what? We don't, do we? I guarantee that you're all struggling with certain things Because your natural responses are not very Christ-like. The answer is, we can't figure it out in the moment. The answer is, we have to be training with Jesus. So that when those moments come, his character, his ways come out of us. Because we've been prepared If we're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to put forth effort and training. Look, we have everything through God. We have everything we need through God's grace. But we have to put effort into this. Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.10. We see grace and we see effort. Check this out. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. He worked really, really hard. What did he work really, really hard with? God's power, God's grace. We see grace and effort. Grace is opposed to earning not effort, says Dallas Willard. Very true. Have you bought into the lie that somehow you are just going to one day be zapped and be Jesus Christ in action and thought, you know, in deed? Are you like just so passive and you're not putting forth effort in godliness training? Next week, we're going to continue talking about this. My prayer is that by the end of this series, you're going to have a concrete plan of how you're going to train with Jesus, how you are going to put yourself in a place to just have God's grace work on you and transform you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we get so sidetracked by so many things that may be good, but aren't necessarily the best for us. Lord, you are telling us this morning, through your word, that the best thing that we can do, the thing with immense value, the thing that Timothy was needing to do if he was going to lead well, is that we need to train with you so that we grow in godliness, so that we become increasingly kingdom fit, so that when the pressure's on, we behave and we respond in ways 
that are in alignment with your kingdom. Lord, I pray that every person in this room would see how valuable this is and that they have everything they need because of your grace to become kingdom fit, but they have to put forth effort. If they do not, it's going to be very difficult for them to grow. Lord, I pray that over the coming weeks, we would have a clearer understanding of what it looks like to train with you. Lord, I can't help but think of your son, Jesus, and the reason that he was able to do what he needed to do when he needed to do it is because he had a certain lifestyle and certain practices and certain habits that when the pressure was on, enabled him to live in godly ways. The victory on the cross was won on his knees in the garden. Lord, we love you. Help us to to do the things that Jesus did. Help us understand that we need to live the way that Jesus lived. We need to adopt his practices. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.